Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including Hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. These first two articles are both out of the February 1992 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, and this was a special international issue of theirs. So the first two articles we're going to talk about are going to be on Masonry in Germany. A New Masonic Era in Germany by Michael Skibb, 32nd Degree. Generally, when Americans think of Germany, what first comes to mind are Bavarians in leather shorts, castles on the Rhine, and the wondrous political developments related to the reunification of East and West Germany. All of these things have a specific relevance to Freemasonry also, though instead of leather shorts we have lambskin Masonic aprons, and instead of castles there are historic buildings where modern German Masons meet in traditional buildings left to us as a heritage from past generations of German brothers. Masonry, in fact, played an important role in the social and political development of 18th to 20th century Germany, a land much different from what we think of as Germany today. Germany then consisted of hundreds of small principalities exposed to countless variations of political and religious commitments and interrelations. In the 18th century, within the safe community of Masons, intellectuals and socially progressive individuals were encouraged to import the ideas of individual freedom, such as freedom of thought and speech, represented by the American Declaration of Independence and the French Revolution. Many counts, princes, and even kings like Brother Frederick the Great accepted the Masonic ideals of tolerance and brotherhood that decisively influenced social improvements in Germany at the time. The cultural masterpieces in music, literature, and politics of the 18th century also often contain the spirit of enlightenment inspired through Masonic convictions. The prosperity of this spiritual intercourse in and outside the German lodges was significant until fascist dictatorship extinguished Masonic light in the 1930s. In 1933, for instance, Germany had 433 lodges and independently existing Grand Lodges. By 1945, most of the lodges had been closed for 10 years and only a weak shadow of the old fraternity was left. With the beginnings of the Third Reich, the lodges either dissolved themselves or changed to other associations. The changed conditions existing after World War II offered Freemasonry a second chance. The three existing Grand Lodges of the ancient free and accepted Masons of Germany, also comprising the former Royal York Lodges, the Grand Lodge of the Three Globes, and the Grand Lodge of Freemasons of Germany, united under the roof of the United Grand Lodges of Germany. Today, a total of 15,000 brethren falls short of membership in the past. In addition, masonry could be rebuilt only in the free western part of Germany. In eastern Germany, the free spirit of Masonic fraternities has yet to rise from the ashes of communist socialist dictatorship. All possessions and real estate remains confiscated and in many cases serves governmental purposes. In 1990, the year of German reunification, over 50 years of oppression left only a barely recognizable remainder of what was once a prestigious Masonic heritage in the eastern part of Germany. 
It is also important to understand that even the development of Freemasonry in former West Germany is not prosperous. Only Masonic veterans could be attracted to lodges at the very beginning, and those brethren have, in most cases, only been able to lead other similarly elderly people into our Masonic communities. German Freemasonry continues to suffer, despite some remarkable exceptions from sufficient successors of younger ages. Nevertheless, positive activities in many lodges are gaining enough support to construct a new, solid fraternity. In many cities in northern Germany, as well as places in Bavaria, lodges are being established in their historical lodge buildings where brethren meet once a week and perform ritual once a month. Our work focuses mainly on philosophical, spiritual, and scholarly subjects, but also includes social interaction within the fraternity. Research and intellectual discussions are shared, and very often our wives are encouraged to join us for social occasions. One interesting example of the Masonic revival taking place in Germany now is my own small lodge, Zuntempel der Eintracht, which means Temple of Harmony, number 172, consisting of about 35 brothers and chartered in 1792 by the Grand Lodge of Germany. It is located near the border to former East Germany in Osterode of, in the Hartz Mountains, not far away from Hanover. In the last couple of years, my lodge has become very active in organizing an international Masonic symposium within the very old walls of the medieval Walkenride Cloister constructed in 800 by monks of the Order of Situ, true masters of operative masonry. The symbolic environment of the Gothic structure with a richness of craft significance gives the right framework for deeply impressive ritual. We discuss and socialize, all tending to improve tolerance and understanding among the different observances or bodies of German Freemasonry. We took the original Latin epigram of the monks of this cloister as the motto for this Masonic symposium, Patent Porta Cor Magus, that is, the portal is open, but the heart still more. Against the background of the recent German reunification in 1990, this Masonic festival achieved a still broader significance, being a workplace for building brotherly bridges over a gap of many lost relations. For example, the initiation last year of the first neophyte from across the just-fallen border fence between East and West Germany was a deeply moving and historic occasion. Like many other lodges, our lodge has begun to trace the roots of Freemasonry in the eastern part of my country. Several traditional lodges have been reconstructed in Weimar, Leipzig, Dresden, and other places. More and more people are breathing the air of freedom and joining the newly reopened lodges. Coming back to the motto of the monks of Citeaux, the door is open, the heart still more. I'd rather say, let us tear down all walls that block tolerance and understanding between the peoples of the world. Let us create, through Freemasonry, a true worldwide chain of brotherhood and love among all humankind. So it's interesting, the guy who wrote this, Michael Skibby, Skib, came to Washington, D.C. to head the German Air Force Liaison Office. He's a member of Zum Tempel der Eintracht, number 172, affiliated with Sharon Lodge, number 327, in McLean, Virginia, and the Washington, D.C. Scottish Rite Bodies. So this next article is called Renewed Light in Germany, but really has nothing to do with Germany in particular. The interesting thing is the author is looking at Masonic history and looking at the fact of how involved politically Masons used to be and how much more, I guess one could say, power the Masons had in the past. 
and it's kind of saying, you know, we, we've lost all that. And, you know, should we be moving back towards that and becoming a much more relevant force in society? So food for thought. I would love to have you listen to this and then let me know what you think. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely interesting. So enjoy this next article. Renewed Light in Germany A change of moral values has always been an ongoing process, and today this evolution is taking place faster than ever before. In its roots and development, Freemasonry has striven to be an intellectual, ethical, and forward-thinking force. Yet in today's fast-paced world, the craft requires urgent attention in order to become more contemporary and successful organization. In this time of turbulent change, both in the political structures of the world and the social dynamics of its cultures, the institution of Freemasonry, not just the single Freemason, must free the fraternity by a reinterpretation of the ancient charges from its path of social, political, and cultural distance. In the past, the instructions of these charges against discussions of politics or religion in the Lodge have encouraged Freemasonry's isolation from society. In large part, this elevation above the turmoil of societal change has been beneficial. It has contributed to the moderation of dogma and absolution while advancing individualism and pluralism. At the same time, inspired by these ideals, important men, many of them brethren of our craft, proclaimed and realized the principles of human dignity and liberty. They labored in their societies not to advance any particular political faction, but to benefit humankind generally. This dynamic individualism, however, has diminished in recent decades. Our craft today tends to be aloof and isolated, absorbed in the restatement of traditional ideals and attitudes. We drift away from the day-to-day social struggle which could advance the very principles we espouse. Our possession by the past prevents our embrace of the future. What is the realistic position of Freemasonry today in a time of such important changes? It is too often occupied with itself, indulging in self-praise, tending to create breakaway movements, and dominated by inwardness as if it were an ivory tower or a distant island. In escaping the world, Freemasons find themselves largely without influence in state and social events. As membership decreases, both in Europe and the United States, the craft is steadily becoming a fringe group unable to attract and hold new members. Our forefathers, whose heritage we have sought to maintain, understood their times, influenced the course of events, and helped to achieve society's advance. In Freemasonry today, there is often a contradiction between the espousal of high moral concepts and the implementation of these ideals. We are simply no longer a key factor in social or intellectual life. On the other hand, all Freemasons have a great advantage in that they are united by a collective conscience. Despite a dominating pluralism, Masonry has a community of culture similar to that which the ancient Greeks had in their concept of the city, state, or polis. And like the ancient Greeks, Freemasons have not yet learned to march off separately, but to fight together for success. Although it is a fact, as historians prove, that today's constitution of Freemasonry, the ancient charges, was often supplemented and adapted to the times, It is, in spite of all adaptations, outdated and out of step with the social, political, and religious standards of the contemporary world. This has inevitably led to what might be termed an intellectual stagnation and the decline of innovative Masonic ideas. In a world which has changed so much since the time when our organization was founded, the craft has remained very much the same. 
Freemasonry must no longer stand passively aside. On the contrary, Masonry must come out of its shell. This theme has been proclaimed often in recent decades by many of the fraternity's own far-sighted members, but it has not been included in their strategies by Masonic institutions. Instead of losing themselves in formalities, in solely philanthropic endeavors, and in ritual changes, Masonic institutions should teach and demonstrate the moral law to all peoples. Most of all, Freemasonry should publish new time-specific and area-specific programs based on our craft's own long-term wisdom. In addition, the different Masonic organizations must develop and disseminate socio-ethical concepts in their countries. Freemasonry is a political factor whether it wants to be or not. It cannot close its eyes concerning the environment and society. All craft institutions, whether lodges, grand lodges, or supreme councils, should, of course, not get involved in politics. The building of bridges is only possible if our institutions remain neutral. Completely different, however, is the situation for each brother. He should participate as a concerned individual and Mason in various aspects of society, public life, and especially in the forming of opinions. The brother should found his view on the basis laid down in our Constitution, Masonry's overall body of thought, and the ideals of our Masonic rituals. Freemasonry, especially the Scottish Rite, is not a free, non-committal affair to be used only for personal devotion. Like Immanuel Kant's categorical imperative, where one must follow unconditionally the commands of conscience, the principles of Freemasonry forbid all evasion and require full commitment to the tasks at hand. In our ideals and their implementation is our chance for Freemasonry in the 1990s to be an intellectual, moral, and practical power. Freemasonry can reveal to the human race how to transcend the egotistic I, accept compassionately the you, and become a united we, a driving force working for a common and beneficial goal. To have this purpose in mind, and to subordinate one's own goal to it and help others to do the same, must determine our actions. Let us, finally, stop working against each other and blocking ourselves with our individuality. Let us look out for the common good and turn away from the confrontation which will only escalate our conflicts. Then a worldwide, universal Freemasonry could overcome stagnation and go forward into the 21st century as a bold and vital force. Such a new enlightenment will help Freemasonry overcome all obstacles. Let us support those ideals which once led us to our fraternity the embracing of intellectual adventure, the drawing up of prospects and hopes, the setting up of guidelines and orientations, the working courageously to solve problems instead of waiting and watching, the giving up of power positions to risk liberty, the living of life on an ecologically, socially, and politically peaceful basis, and the thinking and speaking of truth without being misunderstood. If we accept these steps and stop being bound up in ourselves, we will bring the Scottish Rite back into public life. This new enlightenment also requires new charges, new duties to rejuvenate our organizations, new measures to orient ourselves multiculturally and multinationally worldwide on even the most explosive topics of our time. We cannot and should not evade subjects such as social commitment, the role of religion today, the role of women in our organization, and the challenge of ecological survival. By moving from symbolism to activism, the Scottish Rite can fulfill a leading role in Freemasonry today and tomorrow. I call on every Scottish Rite Freemason to support our intellectual life, to expand our moral influence, and to educate the world regarding Freemasonry's message of personal fulfillment, social progress, and international peace. 
Only in following these ways will we be able to draw new young members and so be able to enter into the next millennium as a strong, universal organization in service to humanity. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.